If you're able, would you remain standing? For our scripture reading for the sermon this morning, we're going to turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. We turn to Psalm 27 just because I needed another week to finish up or figuring out 1 John 3, 18 through 24. So that's why we're going to be looking at Psalm 27 this morning. This is the word of our Lord, a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I'll be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this psalm. We pray that as we consider it, that you speak to our hearts, that we might see Christ more clearly, and that we might follow him more willingly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There is no way of knowing exactly when this psalm was written or why it was written what the occasion was. All the title says, this is a psalm of David. David is a song of David. The content of the psalm, however, probably describes David's life. Not a particular occasion, but just life in general as he lived it. And it is clear in this psalm that David was pursued by his enemies, he was kept from the house of the Lord, and that he was subject to his slander. And those are the things that happened throughout his whole life. So we don't necessarily have to identify 
what, what exactly was happening in his life in order to understand what's going on here because this psalm is characteristic of his whole life. So whatever the circumstances were, David addresses quite a few things that all of us have gone through or are going through in our lives. Now, have you ever dealt with fear? Or have you had enemies in your life? Have you cried out to God for deliverance? Have you been forsaken by the closest of kin because of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you ever been accused of things you didn't do? Have, have people who were close to you ever lied about you? Have you ever sinned and been in need of forgiveness? If you answer yes to any of these questions, this psalm should speak to your heart. We can see at least four things that, song, that David is singing about in this psalm. He's singing about his delight in the Lord. He's singing about his deliverance that the Lord brought to him. He's singing about, singing about his desire for the Lord. And he's singing about his dependence on the Lord. And they are not as, as clearly and clean and separated as I'm making them here. These four concepts are intertwined throughout the psalm, but we're going to try to, to separate them so we can consider them. Uh, the delight that David has, the deliverance the Lord brought, the desire that he has for the Lord, and his dependence on the Lord as we consider Psalm 27 this morning. Why did David delight in the Lord? We see that in verses 1 through 3. Why did David delight in the Lord? He delighted in the Lord because of his confidence in him. Look at verse 3. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Then that's what he said before, the this that he's going to be. Confident. In essence, David saying, no matter what happens, I will continue to trust the Lord. David's confidence is based on God's providence and God's word toward him. In verse 2, he speaks of God's providence towards him. He says, when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. David had experienced God's deliverance in his life. We can talk about David and the deliverance from Saul, the deliverance from Absalom, the fulfillment of God's promise in making him king of Israel. So the providence of God had given David reasons to be confident in the Lord. But even more than that, God's word gave reason for David to be confident in the Lord. And because he's confident in the Lord, he can delight in him. Look at in verse 1, specifically how he talks about God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? There's many ways to say the word Lord in the original language, in the Hebrew language. But here, David chooses a specific way. And that is the, that's God's covenantal name. This is how God wants to be known. This is how God has revealed himself to his people. And David, in knowing what God said in his word, then embraces that concept and calls him the God who is ever-present, the I Am, Yahweh, God's personal name, the name that God said, this is my name. Remember when Moses came before him in the burning bush, and uh, God says, I've heard the cry of my people. Moses, you're going to go back, and you're going to tell them 
that you're going to that they're going to be freed. You're going to go interact with Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh that they, he shall let my people go. And Moses says, God, uh, they don't even know who you are. I don't know who you are. Who should I tell them is sending me? And that's the in Exodus three fourteen, God says, I am. I am who I am is sending him. Tell them that that's my name. And by that name, they'll know who I am. And that's in God's word. And, and David's knowledge of God's word gave him confidence that, that, will, that his God was going to be faithful to him because his God is the God who made covenant with his people. And that's why the name Yahweh, or capital L-R-O-R-D, represent in the scriptures. David knew about God's faithfulness to him despite his unfaithfulness to God. Praise the Lord that we have a God that's faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him. Look at Psalm, Turn. keep your finger there in 27 and turn to Psalm 103 for a second. Just to illustrate how David was convinced that his God is faithful to him. And because of that, he delighted in the Lord. Look at Psalm 103, and look at verses 1 through 5. Psalm 103, a psalm of David. Blessed, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What is David doing here? He's preaching to himself. Perhaps it was a moment of depression in his life. Perhaps a moment of despair. Perhaps a moment of lack of faith. So what does he do? He turns himself to what he knows to be true concerning God from providence and from his word. And he says, soul, bless the Lord. Soul, be happy in the Lord. That's what the word bless means, is to, to, to be happy. Be happy in the Lord. Why? Because of His benefits. And forget not all His benefits. And in verse 3, he, can, he starts to list, list those benefits. So bless the Lord. Why? Because He's the God who forgives all your iniquity, soul. Who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your faithful, your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Why is that that David delights in the Lord? Because he's confident that his Lord, his God, is faithful to him, and he preaches that to himself. Reminding himself of what the Lord has done for him. And, and that reminder is centered upon God's forgiveness and redemption. People of God, we can be confident in our God because He has redeemed us. And He's faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to Him. We need to preach that to ourselves. That there's nothing in us that caused God to redeem us. It's completely because of His grace there's not one ounce of good in us that caused God to say, you know what? I'm going to redeem that person. Both solely because of the pleasure of His goodwill that He decided to save you, to save me. And because He's faithful to Himself, He's never going to deny us 
And God and David is confident that that is his God, and he continues to delight in him. Look at what he says again in Psalm 103, verse 13 and 14. This is, this is who God is. This is a picture that David is painting of his God in whom he delights. It says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. What is David saying here? That God knows who we are. He knows what we can take. He knows what we're made of. He pities us. Now, we, we in, our, in our culture, to pity someone is usually a negative thing. But here, he's saying that God condescends to us. He feels sorry for us. He deals with us according to whom we are as frail human beings. That's what the reference to dust, right? Adam was made of dust, and Eve was made of the rib of Adam, so therefore both are made of dust. And God doesn't give us any more than what dust can bear. He condescends to us. He's faithful to us, and He pities us as a loving Father pities His children. And because of that, David can delight in Him. He's confident in his God. Look at verses 17 and 18 of, of Psalm 103. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to the to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. To fear God is to believe in him. Really, at the core of it is to believe. So to fear God is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To fear God is to believe that you deserve hell forever. To fear God is to believe that there's nothing in you that should call God to pay attention to you. To fear God is to believe that the just consequence for your existence, an eternal separation from God, bearing His wrath in hell. But to fear God is also to believe that apart from that, the Lord Jesus Christ became human like you and I, obeyed God perfectly, the obedience that you and I should have given to God. And that he died a death of sin, bearing the wrath of God for your sin. And that God brought him back from the dead in recognition that his life and death was accepted. To fear God is to believe that that life and that cross is yours. And to have the righteousness of Christ counted to be yours. And to have your sins, the guilt of your sins, counted to be Christ. That is what to fear God means. To not trust in anything in you, but in Christ alone, who redeems a people to himself. And he says there in verse 17 of Psalm 103, that the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Inexhaustible. If you can go as far as you can in that way in time, and far as you can that way in time, you're not going to find a time in which the mercy of God is not present with those who fear Him. David preaches that to himself. And because of that, he can delight in the Lord. And we can have the same confidence that David has in the Lord. The things that God has done in our lives shows His faithfulness 
to us. We all have providential evidences in our lives that God is faithful to us. We tend, however, to remember only the last thing that happened to us. And if that last thing wasn't what we liked, then we tend to think that's how God always interacts with us. There's even a, a term now for that, uh, recency, uh, recency bias. Is, the, is a trendy word at uh, the moment. And we, we have that bias towards God. We tend to use the daisy to determine God's love for us. Oh, good things happen to me today. God loves me. Oh, things that I don't like happen to me today. God doesn't love me. And that's not how we know the love of God. We know the love of God besides the temporal things that happen to us, and the fact that He has saved us in Jesus Christ. Is Christ your Savior today? Then delight in the Lord, for He loves you. It's as simple as, as that. And His Word throughout proclaims His faithfulness to us. We're going to sing uh, in the moment, Great is Thy Faithfulness, which is based in Lamentations chapter 3. You read the verse, great is thy faithfulness, and you think this is something from the Gospel of John or from the, the most gracious part of Romans. But it's not. It's at the heart, literally at the very center of a book called Crying. That's what Lamentations are. The, the book is named Crying, and the hinge of it is Jeremiah looks at the destruction of Jerusalem, not a rock left upon another rock. In chapter 3, he says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. What is Jeremiah doing again? Same as David, preaching to himself, reminding who God is. And he says, Though the Lord's mercy, Through the Lord's mercy, we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. The Lord is faithful. And we don't find that by reading the newspaper. It's by reading the word of God that's littered. Littered is a bad word. Um, but you understand, it's littered with statements of the faithfulness of God to us. Paul, encouraging young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, says this, Therefore I endure things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I go through hard things, Paul says. I endure, and you don't endure chocolate ice cream. Ah, well, maybe Amy does. But uh, <laughs> you don't endure something that you like. You don't endure the pleasures of life. You endure hard things. You bear under the things that are difficult. And Paul says, I'm enduring this for the sake of the gospel, because this is a faithful saying, for if we, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. You may be struggling with your faith even now. You may be in despair even now. You may be finding yourself in the bottom of depression. You, you might not think there's one ounce of faith and grace in you. Even now, your Savior is faithful to you. He will never leave you 
nor forsake you. It is through these rivers that he's carrying you. It's through these fires that he's carrying you through. Even at your lowest, your Father sees you as Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? That at the bottom of the pit, as a believer in Jesus Christ, when the Father looks at you, he sees a face of his Son. And he says, I love him. I love her very much. Because when I look at him, when I look at her, I see my son pleading for them before me. The Bible tells us that God has entered into covenant with us to give us a new heart and to forever be faithful to us. And that new covenant was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can have confidence that our Lord is going to be faithful. And in that confidence, we can delight in this God in whom David delighted. And that's why we can be confident in saying that nothing, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing. Our worst enemy is ourselves. It's not Satan. It's not the world. Our worst enemy is ourselves. And not even us can pluck ourselves from the hand of Christ. Because we are doubly hidden in the hand of the Father and in the hand of the Son through the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of our Savior. And David then is able to delight in the Lord because of his confidence. And the content of David's confidence is that no matter what the Lord will be, no matter what the Lord, uh, no matter... I'm sorry, I got a little excited here. No matter what, the, no matter what comma, <laughs> the Lord will be his light, his salvation, his strength. He could delight in that. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 27. The Lord is my life and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God is the light that guides David. And he's delighting him because of that. Now, when we think of light, we think of goodness. We think of cleanness. We think of security, right? How many of us have been scared in the dark? And we need that super powerful little tiny light that scares away all bad guys. Light implies security. Uh, comfort, guidance, courage. This is all that light represents. All these things are included in saying that the Lord is our light. But ultimately, the Lord is our light in Jesus Christ. Our Savior says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's you, Christian. Christ is your light. Can you delight in that? The answer is, has to be yes. God is David's salvation, according to verse 1. David probably here is referring to physical deliverance. He delivered, saved him from his enemies there in verse 1. However, the truth that we can have confidence that God is our salvation is found throughout the Scriptures. Confidence that our spiritual well-being is totally dependent on God and not on ourselves. Confidence that we are not saved because of ourselves, but despite of ourselves. And because we are saved despite of ourselves, there's nothing we can do to separate us from God. And God is David's strength, and so he can delight in him. David turned to God for the strength 
needed to go through life. People of God, brother, sister, we can be confident that whatever we seek, that whenever we seek His strength, God will give it to us. Not a moment sooner, not a moment too late, but when we seek God's strength, He will give it to us. We can do all things that God calls us to do through Christ who strengthens us. That is the context of Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. That whatever God calls us to do, He's going to strengthen us to do at the moment that we're supposed to do that. But we have to wait. We have to depend on Him for His strength. Remember the famous passage in Isaiah chapter 40, that we will soar with the wings of eagles. But who is going to soar? Those who wait on the Lord, those who are weak, are going to soar because they are depending, they are waiting on the Lord. And because of these things, we can delight in the Lord. But David not only delighted in the Lord, he also is thankful for the deliverance that God brought upon him. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6. David knows that deliverance comes from God. In verse 5 he says, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 40, which I believe David is there recounting the experience of one who is redeemed by the Lord. And there he says, that he found himself in the miry pit. Now, the miry pit would be the bottom of a dry well where it's all mud and almost like sinking sand. And you are there and you're stuck. And the more you move, the more you get stuck. And it's dark and you can't see anything. And there's no hope and you're screaming and nobody hears you. So he says, I was in the miry pit. And yet the Lord reached down. Pull me out of that miry pit. Set me upon a rock. And gave me a new song. That's what he does for you and I. When he redeems us. And that's what David refers to him here. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Safety. Nobody can reach you. You are in God's hands. You are encompassed by his armies. You are secured in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is in your heart as a down payment of that future resurrection. When you are going to see your Savior as He is, for you shall be like Him. That's the rock. But the rock itself, that's where we are. But the rock itself is the Lord Jesus Christ, the firm foundation of our salvation. In time of trouble, God delivers His people. And sometimes he delivers them through the problem. That, remember that passage in Isaiah where uh, uh, the last verse of how great a foundation is based on, where God says, don't fear, for I will go through the river, through the waters with you. He doesn't say, don't fear, I'll remove you from the waters. But when you're going through them, I'm going with you. I'm going to be there in the fire with you. And sometimes the Lord delivers us from suffering through suffering so that we can get through to the end and be with Him. Like a mother hen, the heavenly Father 
hides his people under his wings. Psalm 91 verse 4 says, He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Psalm 37 verse 7 says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. It's, it's the kind of illustration that we don't, is not accessible to us readily anymore because we don't live in that gray in society. But the idea that when a hawk or a bird of prey is flying over the chicken coop and the, the, all the little chicks are going around and when they notice or, or the chicken, the mother hen starts uh, making noise or whatever, they, I grew up in the city, so that, uh, I, I've read about it. Uh, <laughs> when the mother hen starts making noise, all the chicks run and she, what does she do? She puts them all under her wings. And what is she doing for them? She's protecting them by giving of herself. The bird of prey may attack her, but her little chicks will go safe. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us? Put us not under his wings necessarily, but under the, on the shed, in the shadow of the cross. And when the angel of death, as it were, comes upon us, what does he see? He sees the blood of Christ upon us, and he passes over. He passes over, and we are delivered. Like a protecting father, our God keeps us from our troubles, particularly the troubles that is our sin. In Psalm 32, David again says in verse 7, You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. And knowing that God delivers us from our troubles must propel us to serving Him. Must propel us to action. See that in verses 4 and 6. God calls us, as James says, to be hearers and doers of His Word. He's after the heart and He's after the hands. We are to believe and to do as a result of that belief. Because David knows that God is his deliverer, he wants to dwell in God's house. Look at verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. By saying that the, that, that one thing he desires, David is saying that this is the thing he desires the most. Compared to anything else, this is such a great desire that other desires seem as if they don't exist. It, but it doesn't just stay there. It doesn't stay with just being his utmost desire. He puts it in practice as, this is what I desire, and that's what I'm going to seek. He will seek to dwell in the house of the Lord in order to see the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of Him. To seek to dwell in the house of the Lord is to seek to live in the presence as of the Lord as represented by the weekly worship of the Lord. Because we know that God can deliver us from whatever trial or, or temptation, we must earnestly seek to live in His beautiful presence. And that's how David talks about Him in verse 4. He wants to behold the beauty of the Lord. Is God beautiful? Is God beautiful to you? Have you seen Him through Jesus Christ? If you look at God apart from Jesus Christ, the only thing that you can do is tremble. 
because it's a terrible God apart from Jesus Christ. Because the only thing that he has for you is wrath. But through Jesus Christ, he's a deliverer God. A God who's changed your heart, who's given you his spirit, who is now is transforming you to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Is God beautiful to you? It's interesting that, that often the psalmists and the prophets speak of God as beautiful, but using the term the beauty of his holiness, which is this, in other ways to say the beauty of his being God, being other than us. Is God, is your God big? <laughs> to quote Veggie Tales, is your God bigger than the boogeyman, right? <laughs> is your God big? Or are you and people in your life big and your God small? Our God is infinite. Our God is eternal. Our God is unchangeable in all his characters, characteristics. And that is beautiful. We have a God who is not us. He's not just us, but a little bigger, a little better, a little stronger. He's completely other than us. And that's a beautiful thing to see. So God, David knew there was that God that delivered him. Delivered him through suffering. He still had to go to the caves. When, when Saul persecuted him, and he had to live in the desert, in the caves, that was not fun. When Absalom came into Jerusalem, and he had to flee and live in the desert, that was not fun. And yet, he talks about that as the deliverance of the Lord. And it was in those times that he sought the Lord the greatest. Psalm 62, Psalm 63, written at those times where he saw, I just went to see the beauty of the Lord there. It's becoming clear that we're not going to get to the end of uh, this psalm. Such a short psalm. I had great hopes uh, for it. But look, that he, his faith... In God translates into action. He's going to seek the Lord. He's going to see his, the beauty of his presence. And in verse 6, it says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer the sacrifices of joy in the tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praise to the Lord. Because who God is, I'm going to worship him. And I'm going to worship him hardly because he is our God. He is the one who delivered us through the Lord Jesus Christ. People of God, may your delight, may our delight be in this God that was the God of David, who is the God of his church, who is the God who revealed himself to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. May we live according to the truth that deliverance comes from the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ. May we desire and depend on him. And may we listen. May we listen to God's call of verse 14 through Jesus Christ. Wait on the Lord. That is, depend on him. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, David says. On the Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the richness of it. Thank you for the power of your word. We pray that this spirit would wield the things that were said here today and would 
use them to deeply penetrate our hearts. We pray that everything in our hearts would be open and exposed before you. And we pray that you look at our hearts through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you see him as your son. You see us as your son. Help us to be light in him. Father, for those in our midst who are in despair, who are discouraged, who are struggling, uh, we pray that you'd review yourself as the beautiful God who sent them, their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to rescue them from the Mari pit. We thank you for placing us upon the rock and give us a new song. In the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.